Blog Talk Radio. Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help their fellow man, hoping we can make it better. Do you really think we can? Well, good evening, everyone. It is at Another Tuesday night, and uh, it's time for Blog Talk Radio. And uh, this is the catch on Blog Talk Radio, our audio radio version of the catch of the day. We send out every morning, five days a week, to uh, anyone who wants to sign up. And you can do that by going to catchjohnfisher.com and uh, sign up for our daily email. And uh, there's all kinds of things going on that you can find out once you get there. I'm not going to go into it now, but uh, we are growing more and more out of a blog and into a community. So uh, we would love to have you get involved. But on Tuesday nights, we love to uh, do this radio show. We usually have a guest uh, that we uh, interview and uh, talk about relevant things that have to do with faith and real life, and uh, we're, we're, we consider ourselves marketplace Christians. We are in the world, not of the world, but we, we want to be intelligent. We want to know what's going on around us, and uh, um, we love God, and we love people. We love this world as God loves it, too. So uh, today, uh, tonight, we have a very special guest who uh, is going to bring a very interesting perspective to our to our discussion. And uh, I've known Terry Mattingly for uh, a good deal of uh, time now. I, he goes way back to the beginnings of Jesus music. Uh, that's really when I met him. Um, and we'll find out when I talk to him. I'm going to go back there and see if he remembers exactly when we first met. But it's been a long time. The thing I love about Terry is that he's an excellent, excellent journalist. And uh, when I met him, he was writing for the Rocky Mountain News. And uh, he's uh, since written uh, regularly for uh, the Charlotte Observer. And then he writes religion columns in over 350 newspapers that are syndicated all over the country. Um, He is, therefore, as a Christian, he's writing about religion which obviously means he's going to be writing about Christian themes, but he writes them uh, in primarily uh, a secular media press, and so he's able to uh, avoid evangelical speak and talk to the average person, and uh, he's he's unbiased as a as a journalist, and uh, yet he loves God in his heart. And uh, God has put him in a very unique place. So, uh, actually, let's just see if we can get him on the phone right now. Uh, I'm going to try, and and uh, I, I normally have people call in first, but uh, we're, we're going to try and see if we can. Oh, there he is, Terry, John Fisher. How are you doing? Pretty good. 
Okay. Well, welcome to Blog Talk Radio, and I'm very excited to have you on. I was just talking to everybody about when it was we first met, and you'll you'll have to refresh me on this, but it seems to me it might have been uh, Estes Park. Am I right about that? I'm, you know, Estes Park was the first I came up with. Another really memorable occasion was you did a concert at Cherry Hills Community Church. And oh, yeah. do you remember who do you remember who the opening act was that night? Oh, uh, no, I don't. No. Mark Hurd. Oh my gosh! And that was my last interview with Mark Hurd. That was the interview with Mark Hurd in which he said, "You know, I'm just trying to stay alive in this business as long as I can. You oh. know, and make some music." Oh wow! Wow! And of course, Mark also produced my last CD. Yeah. And, uh, that was right wanted... before that incredible 12-month explosion of music. I, yeah. I, I don't know if, I mean, the, you know, those were three CDs that sounded like a man who knew his clock was running out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I, anybody I, has written that many songs that fast of that quality. Yeah, and all of them so great. You're, you're absolutely yeah. right. I interviewed yeah. Bruce Coburn about that a number of years later, and Bruce Coburn said he can't think of anybody that has done three CDs like that in, in that short a period of time. Yeah. That were yeah. that just yeah. searing. And, yeah. Remarkable. Well, um, Terry, you, you mentioned when we talked earlier today that um, you're, you're two months in New York and, and, I, and about 10 months, and I think was it Tennessee is that right yeah in Oak Ridge Tennessee yes. I live Oak just Ridge. outside of Knoxville uh, I, t- I tell people oh. I'm doing Manhattan and the Manhattan Project at the same time <laughs> Oak Ridge being of course the yeah. famous secret city that was created by the U.S. government to create the atomic bomb oh my well now that's a piece of information I did not know <laughs> um, oh. well, well I, where are you now I failed to ask I'm in Oak Ridge. I'm in Oak Ridge. Okay. The uh, the semester's okay. over in New York. I'm always in New York the first two and a half weeks of the semester, and then like two weeks mm-hmm. toward the end of each semester. Yeah. And that's at King's College? Is King's right? College in Lower Manhattan. Yeah. Cor- yeah. Corner of Broadway and Wall Street. So uh, how do you like teaching? Well, I've been teaching, you know, for 20 years um, in Christian colleges. I started off teaching with Haddon Robinson uh, at Denver Theological Seminary. And um, then I taught for a while at Milligan College in the mountains of Tennessee. And then I helped start the communication department at Palm Beach Atlantic University, start the communication school at Palm Beach Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but but the key thing all through that was a journalism project on Capitol Hill that was part-time for a decade, and then I lived in Baltimore and taught on Capitol Hill in Washington for 10 years uh, for the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities, a a full-semester program in journalism based on Capitol Hill. That's the program that has now moved to New York. Um, Okay. It was a conscious decision that there's more journalism left, a wider variety of journalism left in New York than there is in Washington. Washington is basically all political journalism now. That's all that's there. Wow. Wow. Well, 
um, the thing I was telling my listeners that I, I admire so much about you is that you, you've always been able to uh, cross between uh, the Christian world and the secular world without any problem. And uh, as a as a journalist, uh, you've been impeccable, and you've been able to write about Christian things, uh, but in a way in which the uh, common man, a person outside of the church, could uh, grasp and yeah. and understand. And uh, in fact, when I, I you were with Rocky Mountain News, I think when I first met you, and uh, yeah, I, I exactly. I'm going to ask you. I was going to ask you about that because way back then, you know. Uh, we things were really separate. I mean, Christians were doing Christian things, and and uh, people who weren't Christians were doing uh, you know things in the world. And so, to have a Christian involved in in a, a regular newspaper was rather rather exciting and rather well, new. Well, there were a, there actually were more than you would think. It, it it just it hadn't been politicized as much as it became. Kind of the further you got into the post Roe v Wade era and the rise of the religious right, I think it's important for people to realize the degree to which, for most mainstream journalists, nothing is real unless it's essentially political. Politics is the only real world there is. So when when evangelicals and fundamentalists and others began getting involved in journalism, I mean, not in journalism, when they began getting more involved in politics with Ronald Reagan and the rise of the modern religious right, that suddenly, that was like the sacking of Rome by the, the Huns, you know, from the viewpoint of most people in the press. So at that point, you know, it was pretty normal for Christians to work in mid-sized media and whatever. For someone like myself, though, I, th- I think you, you're right in saying that I've never completely fit in either camp. Uh, which is why I've always loved loved that Mark heard lyric so much. I'm too sacred for the sinners and the saints. Wish I would leave. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, um, I like especially uh, this new thing. Well, it's uh, new for me. It's probably not new for you, but I, I've just been so out of touch uh, with what you've been doing lately. But I love the website Get Religion and what you're trying to do with that. Um, it, it looks like you're you're trying to interpret uh, in some way uh, how the secular media deals with religious themes. Uh, could you right. tell us a little bit about that and and how did that come about and what are you trying to do there? Well, the blog started 12 years ago, right when blogging really became began to become a phenomena. At the meeting where I proposed the creation of the blog to a foundation, I've done a lot of work with. Um, I held up an article about this brand new thing called blogging, and it was an interview with Andrew Sullivan, and it was the Daily, the Daily Dish, you know, which kind of in some ways started modern blogging. The whole idea of the blog is that everybody that's on the blog has significant experience in the mainstream press covering religion as news, not commentary, not opinion, not Bible studies. I mean, when you're dealing with someone like Dick Osling, who writes on the site, Dick Osling is one of the the towering figures in religion journalism in the late 20th century. I mean, at this point, Dick has 40-plus years on the beat, maybe 50. He's in his 70s now. Um, uh, Julia Dean, who's on the blog, has like 30 years' experience. Uh, James Davis, the same. Bobby Ross, 
worked for the Associated Press under Dick Osling for more than a decade. You know, I've been on the beat since the, uh, basically since the early 80s. I mean, so mm. all of these people, all the people who are on the beat, um, Ira Rifkin, a, a liberal Jewish writer who writes for us once a week, Ira has got 30 years experience, including like the Los Angeles Times and places like that. I mean, so the, we're all people who know from a secular perspective, know what religion journalism is all about. But we all share this concern that the press struggles to to deal with the religious content of many significant issues. And we, we call these uh, this hidden religious aspect of these stories, we call them religion ghosts. That many times the press is dealing with a story that has a significant religious element to it, but they they don't know it's there. Um, the famous CBS correspondent, uh, Bill Moyers, uh, back when I was at the Charlotte Observer, uh, Mr. Moyers made a comment to me that I thought was significant. Now, he's coming from the theological and political left, but many of his concerns about journalism are same, similar to mine. Bill said, you know, you've got to understand that most journalists are tone deaf to the power of religion in daily life. In other words, they're at an event, all of this amazing material is going, all these emotions are swirling through the room, and it's like music. They just don't hear it. They can't get the facts of the story straight because they're tone deaf to the actual content. Uh, Another person, um, the late Peter Jennings once told me, uh, and Jennings considered himself kind of a liberal Anglican seeker in many ways, and he tried to get ABC World News Tonight to cover religion more. Jennings said that when, if you've ever watched a tragedy unfold and people are live on the air, the TV journalist will run up to people and they'll stick a mic in their face and say, how did you get through this horrible tragedy? And he said nine times out of ten, ordinary Americans will say something like, oh, it was really terrible, I was very afraid, and I prayed and I prayed, and I just prayed for God to get me through this, and I'm so thankful that I'm alive you know, and then there's this long pause, Jennings said, and then the reporter says, no, really, how did you get through it? <laughs> and he said that long pause is the is the chasm that exists between many people in the mainstream press and their understanding of the role of religion in the life of many ordinary people. Wow. So what are you trying to do with Get Religion um, website? Well, I mean, for one thing, we're just taking advantage of the web in order to be able to offer kind of a running critique. So in some ways, we are a place where we hope journalists and serious consumers of the news come to watch us kind of debate the press in terms of whether or not they, to use the old feminist phrase, whether or not they get it. Do they get religion? And the the simple fact of the matter is many journalists don't. We, We try to praise... Uh, journalists where we can, and there are many mm-hmm. veteran religion reporters on the beat who do a fine job, but it's just amazing some of the errors you consistently see in the press and the holes you see in stories that uh, just about anybody that knows anything about religious life in America should know something about it. Let me give you another another huge hole. This is one that has affected your life and my life and all Americans' lives for the last couple of decades. I don't think I've ever seen a major story in the mainstream press other than one cover story in an opinion magazine, The New Republic, 
years ago that a tried that tried theologically to explain the differences between Shuni and Shia Islam and why those two branches of Islam consider each other to be heretics. And yet, can you think of any bigger subject in terms of trying to understand what's happened in the Middle East during the era of the two Iraqi wars and our tensions with Iran? I mean, don't you think you kind of need to know that? (laughs) Yeah, I would think you would need to know that. Yeah. So so you're able to um, uh, discover some of these ghosts. Are you trying to discover the ghosts, bring them out uh, where we can see them? Right. Is that party? Cool. Yeah, and and a lot of it has a lot of it has centered on um, something that you mentioned when we talked earlier in the day, just briefly. You, you you raised the whole question of to the media, what does the word Christian mean? You know, and whether Christian remains a positive term. And I think that's a it's a really interesting question, and it's a question that I took separately from the old issue of kind of the Christian as adjective syndrome, where you have real music and right. then you have Christian music, and you have real movies and you have Christian movies, and you know, weight loss programs and then you have Christian weight loss programs. And, I mean, we're dealing with something that's way beyond that. Um, we're we're dealing with whether the press in some ways understands the role of religious liberty in our society. I mean, the, I, I like to try to explain to people that the two halves of the First Amendment are just not getting along right now. Christians don't respect the constitutionally protected power of the press, and the press doesn't seem to, to respect the constitutionally protected power of religion in American life. It's a, it's a blind spot with two sides. Wow. Uh, as we tried to explain it in a book that me and some, several other journalists produced a number of years ago called uh, called Blind Spot when journalists don't get religion. Yeah. Um, well, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Um, I, I, if you have one more thing to say on that, please finish that because I I, I was going to kind of move on to something else. So go ahead. Well, it, we're back to the issue that when most pre- when the press thinks about Christians. They primarily are thinking in terms of politics, which means yeah. they're thinking primarily of white evangelicals and their role in the Republican Party, or they're thinking of the great swing vote in American politics, which is Catholic voters. And I think right. if you look at most stories about religion and politics, you'll find that religion, Christian means one of those two groups for most of our coverage and on stories especially that have anything to do with politics. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's perfect because that's exactly where I wanted to go, Terry. Because, see, we, we talk at, here at the Cats, we talk a lot about um, being marketplace Christians and we want to be in the world and yet we're constantly running up against uh, – what the world thinks or uh, understands or believes about Christians, which is so way off base. And um, we have to deal with this all the time. And and that's why I was really hoping that uh, most of our time uh, tonight, we could spend delving into that whole idea, because Mm. I think you could really speak well to that since you're in 
spent so much time on both sides. I mean, it, can we assume that most non-Christians then have an impression of Christians that's largely determined by the media? And if that's true, then they think the same thing as the journalists think. Is that is that right? Well, I, yeah, except that the entertainment industry, in many ways, the presentation is even worse. So if you, if you would accept that the entertainment media in America is probably more formational for most people's worldviews than the news media, that's a sad comment for me to make as a journalist, but I think it's true. And it's the heart of why uh, Haddon Robinson and I tried to try to introduce media studies and media critiques in the context of a seminary. If you're not paying attention to how the entertainment media deals with topics of great concern to the church, then what country do you think you're in? I mean, what language do you think Americans are speaking if you're not paying close attention to the subjects that matter to the church as they're presented in entertainment media in particular? It's almost like you're really not caring. It doesn't, you know, you don't care. What yeah, it's saying? kind of like the the image I used at Denver Theological Seminary was if we sent missionaries to another part of the world, and we didn't expect them to know the language of the people where they were going, the kind of family structure and daily life and organizational principles of life in that culture. You didn't need to understand the humor. You didn't need to understand the great myths and archetypes and stories of that culture. How would you expect to be a missionary in that culture? Yet here in the United States, we have no seminary that requires future ministers to study the impact of popular culture and mass media on the average lives of Americans. Wow. That's huge. How uh, do you preach to them? Yeah. Yeah. How do you do apologetics if you have no idea how entertainment media and news media are framing issues about what's right and what's wrong, what's love and what's hate? What does it mean to be a success in life? What does it mean to be a failure? What does it mean to be smart? What does it mean to be dumb? Who's cool? Who's a bigot? Now, these are why all very it, big subjects. How has this happened? Why is there such a separation there? Why? Well, pri primarily because Christians, at the level of our uh, education institutions and stuff like that, haven't dealt seriously with mass media in decades. Mm -hmm. How many schools in America do you think Christian schools in America have legitimate programs in Hollywood screenwriting? Want to make a guess? Uh Maybe two or three, I don't know. Two or three. I think two or three. might. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many do you think have serious programs in journalism? Uh, maybe a little more. Yeah. When, when I got into the field 20-something years ago, I, I knew about five Christian colleges in America where there was anyone on the faculty who had ever published a news lead in a mainstream newspaper. And we're probably now up to about 20 to 25. Wow. Wow. And, do you, and you remember Ken Myers' great, do you remember Ken Myers' oh, yeah. great book, All God's Children in Blue Suede Shoes? Yes, yes. Yeah, Ken had a great way of framing it. He said Christians have always struggled with how to be in the world but not of the world. Mm 
He said, mm-hmm. the modern church has managed to be of the world, but not in it. Yeah. Yes. And that's a devastating sure. statement. Yes. <laughs> that, that's for sure. And we are... <laughs> And so, therefore, we're not thinking about it at all. We're of it, but it's a, it's a, it's it's like something that we don't even. Um, it's like, well, to me, it's it's like we're. I I often call that Gnosticism. It's like we're modern Gnostics. Yeah, exactly. We have this. We have this. We are of the world, but we we don't even know that, and we don't know how what it's saying or how to articulate. And and over here, we're talking about all this Christian stuff. Yeah. And we never put the two together. Yeah, at Denver Seminary, Haddon and I used to ask three questions over and over as a way of getting people to think about discipleship. And those three questions was, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? And how do you make your decisions? Now, if you can ask those three questions in the context of modern America and not hit the power of the mass media, then I don't know where you are. You're not even ready to do ministry to Amish people, you know, who have their children playing in Amish heavy metal bands on weekends during the wilding years. I mean, who do you think you're ministering to? If you're not asking, function, you know, your 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 Gnostic word is a, is a good word there. I mean, how how are you judging what real life is if it isn't? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? And how do you make your decisions? Uh, in this kind of failure of journalists to um, understand what Christ, who Christians really are, um, we we are we have to take some of the blame for that ourselves. Certainly, right. In in large part because we have contributed to the problem of the professionals in the in the entertainment and news industries being frankly so stunningly intellectually undiverse we're a part of that lack of diversity because we haven't been training people who are ready to work at the mainstream world's level of excellence yeah um, yeah instead we would rather play in our own small niche markets um which you know, um, the late Bob Briner, uh, the the great mm-hmm. author of uh, Roaring Lambs, he compared it to Japanese tennis players who got tired of losing in all the major tournaments, so they went home to Japan and started the Japanese tennis tour so that they could always win. <laughs> and he said that, and he said that that's how most Christian, quote unquote, Christian media in American functions. Yeah. We're, we're not quite sure. You know that we can make it in the in the mainstream, so oh. we retreat we retreat into media niches and really don't have yeah. much to say to the to the real world, and in many ways don't have much to say to our own people whose lives continue to be dominated by the mainstream media right right so where is you know where where is the witness where is the true expression of jesus um in in popular culture? Well, I think the I think the main thing is churches really need to ask if they believe that God is the creator of all of creation. You know, is the ancient church and John Calvin are they right that God is the God of all creation? That all of God's creation is both glorious 
and fallen, and that there's a place in all of that culture for Christians to be a part of creating stories, creating art, creating culture. And even, I do sincerely believe that there are Christians who are called to forms of apologetics that may be in media and music and whatever. I'm not writing off the importance of Christian music or anything like that. What I'm saying is that when you think that is the only potential for Christian flourishing in this world, haven't you written off most of the society and most of the culture? Haven't you um, you essentially assumed that, you'd, that Christians don't have anything to say to that culture? Yeah. I mean, I mean, think think of previous centuries. I mean, when people think of Johann Sebastian Bach, they don't think, "Wow, what a great Christian musician." Except he was a great Christian musician because he was a Christian who was a great musician. When people right. think of Dostoevsky, they don't think of Christian literature. Right. When they think of Jane Austen, nobody thinks of Jane Austen, and they say, wow, what a wonderful writer for the Christian market. Mm-hmm. You know, wrote right. excellent books for Christian women. Mm-hmm. No, I think Jane Austen was a little bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, so what's happened to our vision? Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So what would have happened, I often wondered what would have happened if all of that outburst of creativity that happened in Christian music in the 70s um, hadn't gone into just the Christian market. What if there never was a Christian market? What if it went into the into the, the mainstream culture? Uh, we would have had a much greater impact on the world, yeah. don't you think? Well, well, yeah, but let me let me make a distinction here. Like I just said that I think there are people who are genuinely called to a ministry to the church through music and stuff. I, I'm not right. sure Michael Card could have been the artist that Michael right. Card is without writing to people who understood his Christian content. I'm talking more about, well, frankly, it was that very same Estes Park where you and I first first met, where I had a chance to talk to Phil Keggy. And Keggy was just at that stage in his career where it had hit him, it had slapped him up against the side of the head, that he actually had more chances to witness to unbelievers during his last year's touring with Glassharp, standing at the back doors of bars and college auditoriums, talking to unbelievers, than all of his years in touring as a CCM artist playing churches. Right. Right, which and, was supposed to be evangelistic. It was supposed to be, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it it is, but I mean, did anybody ever really yeah. think that? Yeah. Um, no. And so Keggy, you know, somewhere right in that period of time, made the courageous decision to kind of unplug from the machine, go home, get himself a digital mic and recorder, and just start recording brilliant instrumental albums. And then kind of hit the road again in a wide variety of settings, just as what he is, which is one of the greatest guitarists on planet Earth. Why not be that? Well, gosh, I I have one last question because time has gone way too fast. Um, But I, I really want to address this last thing, especially for our listeners, because we like to talk a lot about, as I said, being marketplace Christians. What do we do, though, in we're representing a, a, a Christianity that is widely misunderstood? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, 
we want, we call ourselves representatives of what we call the gospel of welcome, and and we're trying to learn grace turned outward. Based on what you've told us, those are ghosts in terms of most of the world marketplace. Right. How do we deal? How do we deal with it? How can we be smart about these misconceptions? Do we try and fix everything, or how, how do we go about being Christians in well, this kind of? Well, okay. First of all, I think a lot of your listeners will have contacts with Christian colleges and universities, and it's it's amazing how much the leaders of these schools will listen to their alumni. Hmm. And I think the alumni of many of these schools need to, to call up their, their, their alma maters and say, what are we doing realistically in fields like fine arts and journalism? I mean, and do we have a, do we have a music program that only assumes you can be in churches? Or do we even have a rehearsal place where bands can, can play? I mean, what are we doing to show... That God is the God of all creation. Okay, that's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, at the church level, I think that every pastor should appoint three or four, maybe five people in in his congregation who he believes are really plugged into what's going on in media and culture to serve as kind of his advisors mm-hmm. on what shows are out that matter, what films are out that this church needs to know about. How do I dialogue with the actual media that's having a massive amount of influence on our young people? In other words, engage the media in a constructive way. And the flip side of that on the news side is pastors need to, to quit writing off their local media. They need, to, they need to start a dialogue with their local media that's positive as well as negative. Call up the editor of your local newspaper and ask to take him out to lunch. You know, call up the head of the editorial page and ask her if there are any voices from the religious community that might be a part of dialogues on their on their editorial page. Approach this as a thing where you're going to praise them when they're good, you're going to criticize them when they're bad, and you're going to try to dialogue with these people about the role the news plays in your local community. I think most Christians at this point have simply written the media off as heathens that they don't want to have anything to do with. And that's just not a constructive approach to such a powerful force in our lives and in our culture. Wow. Okay. What about, uh, you know, that just brings to mind uh, local local newspapers that... A lot easier to get into and and to write yeah. for even 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 as a, a non professional isn't that right Yeah, well that's what that's what I meant. And a lot of I mean not all of our churches are you know in New York or L A or whatever. So in, right. even in small and mid sized newspaper that dialogue is just as important. But you know a number of years ago, the New York Times did a brilliant story on racial reconciliation in a Baptist church, I believe it was in the in the greater Atlanta area. And it, it dealt with the hard subjects, which was the role of race in that church decades ago. It, it dealt with the fact that now here's a church with interracial leadership, you know, and do, taking some amazing leadership roles in its community. And when I saw that on the front page of the New York Times, 
I called up a friend of mine at Baptist Press, and I said the leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention should cash in some of their Southwest Airlines travel points this afternoon, get on an airplane in Nashville, and fly to New York, and show up in the lobby of the New York Times with banners saying, thank you, New York Times. Can we talk? Thank you for, for this story. Thank you for, the, thank you for dealing with the tough issues in a sensitive way. Thank you for dealing with the positive issues in the here and now. Thank you. Can we talk? Yeah. Good place to start. Wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. Terry, this has been uh, really exciting, and I'm glad to touch base with you again after such a long time. Uh, thank you so much for being uh, on, on my show, and, and I hope we're all going to be encouraged to get more involved uh, in the world. Well, of I hope so, too, and I hope our paths cross again. I hope so, too, Terry. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. God bless. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, how was that, folks? That was uh, that was wonderful. Um, get involved. Uh, you got a local newspaper? Uh, we got we got Laguna Beach paper. I I have actually had three articles there. Now, of course, I do write, and but I'm not I'm I'm not a professional journalist, and uh, and yet I've gotten articles in our paper, and. Uh, you know, anybody can do it. Letters, every letter I wrote to the editor has been published. Um, if you're decent at anything, you can find a place to have a voice. And uh, we we got to have voices uh, as believers in our culture and get more involved. I love his idea about uh, alumni um, writing letters to their uh, Christian colleges and, and uh, maybe even to sit down, take your pastor out to lunch and uh, talk to him about some of Terry's ideas about having certain people in the, in, in their circle who, who are in touch with, with certain areas of, of media and influence because truly this is where we get our stuff. This is where we learn. And if we have, don't have a Christian dialogue at that level, um, we're not, we're not putting putting the right hand with the left hand. We're, we're just completely separated uh, uh, schizophrenic people. And uh, that's not a way to live for Christ in the world today. So I hope you enjoyed tonight. I sure did. And uh, maybe we can have Terry on again, talk about some more of this. But uh, let's get involved. It's, uh, it's, it's my father's world. This is my father's world. He belongs... At, in everything, you can find him everywhere. We need to have a voice. As Christians, we need to have a voice in our world. So God bless you.